Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as usual, if you have any questions that you would like to have answered through your reading or through conversations that come up through our chatting about the Bible, we would love for you to send them in at infogrove.church. We take the last Friday of every month and try and drop a podcast designated only to questions and answers. So we'd love for you to send us some questions. Yeah, they're a ton of fun. So please send in your questions. It's always great to uh, be able just to kind of dive deeper into certain topics, even fun questions too. Don't worry about sending in super deep ones. If we you should call like any. try and stump the podcast people. I was going to say pastors, but you're on track to be a pastor. I'll tell you what, you uh, you send in a stump question, we will put it into the show and we'll try and get it. So that'll yes. be kind of fun. So, and if you stump Evan, he'll buy you coffee. That's not true. All right, so getting into uh, this week's that note. Bible talk. Uh, in, the, in our readings in Kings, we're, re- we're finishing up 1 Kings and we're starting up 2 Kings. And just a reminder, remember that uh, while we have First and Second Kings in our Bibles today, uh, they were not meant to be two separate books, but they're really one continuous book chron- chronicling the uh, the kings of Israel and Judah after uh, the death of David. But uh, really, as I was looking through the uh, to find a highlight of things that we want to talk about, I realized that most of what we're reading this week actually has to do with uh, the life and ministry of Elijah, the prophet, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I do think it's it's worthwhile to talk about him because he's an interesting character because I would say he is um, not even probably he's definitely the most major prophet that does not have a book of the Bible if yeah, that that's makes true. sense so he we there's no book of Elijah there's no lasting record of all of his writings outside it's of what's sad. inside of Kings a little bit yeah um, but he's a major character I mean he's there Elijah's there Elisha's there Nathan would be another name of a prophet who while he didn't necessarily write a book of the Bible uh, carries a lot of a lot of weight when you go through mm-hmm. the entire story of the Bible and so. To kind of talk about him a little bit, Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. So when his ministry begins, the kingdom is already split. Uh, he's a prophet in the north. And the north is really, um, as as I see here right now, I can't remember if they never have a good king or if it's just they have so few, it almost doesn't matter. But the north exists in perpetual rebellion against God pretty much yeah. from the start of the, the split of the kingdom. Judah has its highs and lows. The North pretty much has its its lows, and so that's the way it goes. Um, and he spends almost his entire ministry ministering to uh, during the reign of Ahab. And so Ahab is uh, one of the more famous kings in in the Book of Kings, not because he's a good king, but because he's actually an exceptionally bad king. Um, but Ahab ends up falling into, I would say, probably the same trap that Solomon falls into. Uh, he marries a woman who does not worship the Lord, um, and she is. Uh, she's really just kind of crazy. So she is worshiping a lot of idols. Uh, she hates Elijah and tries to have him killed multiple times. Um, and then Elijah also does a little bit of ministry after the death of Ahab spoilers. Uh, he does Gosh. a little bit of ministry during the reign of his son. Uh, and then, yeah, like we kind of, we're kind of talking about during the reign of Elijah or during the uh, ministry of Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel had popularized the worship of the false God Baal. Um, and, Essentially, they were beginning to try and stop the people of Israel from worshiping God to worshiping Baal. Um, and this is the context that Elijah is a prophet during. Um, there's a lot of famous stories of Elijah. One of my favorite ones is 
uh, he's walking and some teenagers are making fun of him for being bald. I guess I shouldn't say teenagers. I don't know. It just says young men. Is that Elijah or Elisha? Elijah, I believe. Okay. If it's Elisha, then. You spoil- sound really dumb right now. Then spoiling. Well, one of them, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Elijah, calls out uh, basically bears from the woods and they attack him. So Aaron's going to look it up right now. So I'm we'll Google see. It. So I'll let Evan keep talking, but I'm Googling. We'll it. see how close we are there. Um, but there's that story. Uh, there's a, one of the first uh, parts of the mystery of Elijah is warning about a famine that's coming in. Uh, and obviously there's the part where Elijah is spoken to by God and God is not in the great wind, but he's actually in the whisper. It is Elisha, ladies and gentlemen. It's Elisha who's bald. Second Kings 2.23. So stay tuned for that passage coming well, up now in future weeks. I'm just look like a fool. That's what I get for going off of my notes uh, or not off of my notes, I guess. How's... Anyway, uh, but the story I wanted to say today, I, I think is actually probably the most famous story of Elijah. And that is when uh, Aaron just fist bumped because <laughs> he, because he I was right. Because he got me. I stumped him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's a story where Elijah actually challenges the prophets of Baal to kind of like a, a prayer, a prayer match, I guess, if you wanted to call it that. So I'm just going to read because it's actually a very, um, it's I've a never very heard it called a prayer match or a prayer contest before. So that's, prayer, that's new for me. Well a done. A prayer wrestling match, I guess. Yeah. Who knows? But to show of strength, exactly. who's, who's God's legit. <clears throat> My God. It's a competition. Could beat up your God. Who's better? Exactly. Uh, but so in first Kings, I'm just going to read eight chapter 18 verses 20 through 40. Um, like I said, it's, it's stay with us folks. It kind of just, it, it stands on its own. There's not a ton of commentary that needs to be added to it, but I think it's a great story. So starting in verse 20, so Ahab sent all of the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Mount Carmel. Then Elijah came near to to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left among the prophets of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So, I mean, just to pause here for a second, there's quite a, this is not a good state for the people of Israel to be in, because what he's saying is he's he's putting before them, do you want to serve the God of our fathers? Do you want to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or do you want to serve this false God? And the people won't even answer him. And then he goes on to say that he is the last prophet of the Lord left in the north, and there's 450 prophets of Baal. And it's a little dramatic to say he's the only prophet. Let's just be honest. We see that a little bit later on the story. God calls him out on that. But uh, he's not the only prophet, but he feels like that. Yeah. And he's like an island by himself is what he feels like. A lot, And a lot of Elijah's ministry is kind of him being super sad about the fact that people are trying to kill him all the time. Yep. Uh, so he says, let two bowls be given to us and then let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it onto the wood and put no fire on it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all of the people answered, it is spoken. And so Elijah's going through and he's saying, bring two bowls, you pick, you get your choice of bowl, prepare it for sacrifice, and then we're going to pray. And whichever God lights the altar on fire, that God ends up being God. The other side about too, when it comes to uh, picking your own bowl, that was part of the process for the Israelites is they, they had to pick the choices. They had to pick the best of their 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 flocks or their their animals they had to pick the best to offer as a sacrifice to the Lord and so even Elijah saying listen you get first pick you get to pick the best of the of the the two ox and I'll take the leftovers and so that's kind of a, an interesting little tidbit too so yeah so that's where you're he's welcome. moving you're welcome <laughs> yeah so anyways in verse twenty five it says then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. 
Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey. journey. Perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And so this is like, there's sarcasm in the Bible sometimes. This is fantastic. That yes. Elijah's just like, maybe. This is like the challenges Evan and I give one another whenever we're playing video games, especially Sea of Thieves. Absolutely. So anyways. I don't play it. They're, they're walking around the altar. They're trying to desperately to get Baal to light this altar. And Elijah's just saying like, hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. I mean, have you tried calling louder? Maybe he's far away. He's essentially just mocking the prophets of Baal in front of the people of Israel, which is fantastic. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with all of the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And there he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood... He put the wood in order, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it onto the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So Elijah is just dumping this wood altar with water, which, if you don't know how fire works. Uh, Wet wood don't burn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder that way. And at that time, the at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this your people may know, O Lord, that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let no let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Which is, you know, that's a little bit of a brutal way to end the story. But it's a really powerful moment of just the triumph of god in the face of particularly uh mm-hmm. idolaters and the passion of the the passion of elijah to try and sway the people back to serving god it's it's a it is a wonderful thing i think it's also just a great story in the sense of elijah's probably being a little bit showboaty at times but uh you know what that makes for a better story and it makes for better reading the <laughs> fact that he's uh constantly taunting talk He's constantly taunting these prophets, and then at the end of the day, God answers quickly, God answers succinctly to the point where uh, there's really no question left about who is the the true the true God. Yeah, and I think it's it's such a great dis- demonstration or portrayal of like God's in it to glorify His name. He wants everyone to know 
uh, who he is, because it's, it's at the end of the day, it's not about uh, not about you or me or anyone else. It's about understanding that there is a God who created us uh, and who is all powerful, and nothing can prevent. And I really love the imagery uh, that the fire licked up the water that was in the trench. I just have this picture of like a flame that would look like a tongue to lick of water. I don't know why, but sometimes in the cool visual mind, it would be. I should draw that. But it'd be stick figures, so that wouldn't work either. Anyways, um, one of the other books that we got to start jumping back into, even though we did it earlier in the year, uh, we're coming back into the book of Revelation. Uh, and so today, or this week, we're actually going to be reading uh, through a, a chunk of Revelation. Uh, and this is where Revelation, I feel like, kind of starts getting a little bit confusing or a little bit um, overwhelming in some respects. Um, but we got to remember a couple things. We got to remember first that when we read Revelation, it's it's literally the final judgment uh, on sin uh, because God is just, and it's this picture of His wrath being poured out against sin and those who choose its path. Uh, for those of us who follow Christ, it's not it's, it's a picture of coming judgment, not against or for us because God has redeemed us through Christ, but it is a picture of God's wrath being poured out on sin and hate, and it's. It's almost a boiling point. It's almost this picture of it building and building and building. And finally, at the final judgment, it's going to be taken care of. Um, and so the, the fun thing is, like, I believe we can read the book of Revelation uh, with hope, humility, and peace, knowing uh, that the wrath is not poured out on us uh, because we get to stand redeemed. And I, and I just, a couple of things that I think about this is the idea of hopeful because uh, we, we understand whatever we face on this earth, the eternal glory uh, and promise of eternity is far greater than any momentary trial or persecution. Because you and I are told we will face hardships, but we we get to have hope because what we're inheriting, where we're going, the eternal uh, justification of, I don't even know that's the right phrase, but eternity is so much better and so much worse than the, the momentary things we face. Um, I said humility because we see the wrath of God poured out. Uh, and it's only by his grace that we are redeemed. So even as I read this book, there is a holy fear and humility to recognize I'm I'm one rebellious moment away from being wrapped up in, in the judgment and the wrath that's being poured out. Uh, and it's because of God's grace that I don't I don't have to face that punishment. Uh, and then finally, peace, because even as I'm going to jump into here in a minute, um, in, in Revelation 9, it's, God is in control. He is all powerful. Nothing is greater than he is. Uh, he is for us. He's working at his grace and power to protect, redeem, and guide us. Uh, and it's in in the, the dialogue, in the imagery of these trumpets and bowls that are being unleashed on earth in succession, uh, we get to find God's sovereignty and power over everything that happens. Uh, and there's this passage in Romans 9 that I want to focus on uh, the locusts for a second because um, – I think it's pretty it's pretty poignant to see if to, to read a little slower and to see this. Uh, so I want to read it real quick, and then I'll highlight uh, just a quick thought about these locusts. It says this in Revelation nine one through five. It says, "Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke." I love the imagery because even as you're reading it, um, even if you use the audio, if you're using your version Bible app and use the audio, I would almost encourage you to close your eyes and kind of imagine and visualize what's happening. And then it says this in verse three, that the locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth and they were given the power to sting like scorpions. That would suck. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, the seal of God is what, who, is what marks God's people when the final judgment happens in that time. There's going to be a seal that's put upon uh, God's people. 
And it, in essence, signifies, and much like in the Old Testament, the Passover lamb, the 10th and last plague uh, of, of Egypt, they put blood on their door frames from, the, from a slaughtered lamb, so that way they could, the, the death of the firstborn would not hit the people of Israel. So much like the seal on the foreheads, it's going to be similar in that regard. Uh, quick side note, you'll also see some of these uh, bowls and, and punishments poured out will kind of take... Uh, a 10th plague, or not the 10th plague, but the plagues of Egypt kind of feel. The locust was one of the plagues of Egypt, um, and we see it again being poured out here at the end time. So, um, But it says that they were tra- told not to kill them, uh, but to torture them. These are the people who are not God's people. Their locusts are told to kill them and not to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, the people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And the thing I want to tell you is, first off, that sounds horrendous, and it's by God's grace that that I'm I'm thankful that that's not intended for me. Um, but it's also something that's that starts off when he talks about the locusts in verse three. It says they were given power to sting like the scorpions. And as you read this, I want you to understand it says that they were given power. It's this divine passive that you'll actually see throughout the different bowls and the different trumpets that the, the the forms of punishment, whatever is taking that form of punishment, this in this passage specifically, it's locusts, they're given power. In other words, it's showing God's sovereignty and his and his overwhelming power to control just how deep, how power, how painful, how uh, much torment it brings, or how much judgment, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, and that God is in absolute control of it. And also not just what is well, how the punishment plays out, but also who gets the judgment and how severe it's going to be. Uh, the way that I, I, I kind of picture this a little bit to have a little bit of understanding, because I wrestle with this. I used to, I wrestle with this a little bit until I, I had this thought uh, where it's just like a parent disciplining a child. For those of you who have parents, you know, when your child disobeys you and does something he's not supposed to, I think of he, because my son Gideon is liking to do this. Um, he blatantly doesn't listen when we tell him to do something, stop hitting or stop kicking. And he still walks up and hits or kicks classic two year old stinking little man. Um, but how much he disobeys determines the punishment and its severity. And this punishment is based upon a level of disobedience. It's not how good or how bad the kid is, but it really is based upon how much of the disobedience, how much, how much is he disobeying us? Is it a perpetual thing, which means the punishment gets more severe. Uh, and, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, but God withholds judgment because he wants everyone to come and be a part of his family. He withholds judgment because he wants all of us to be redeemed and to be protected from the end, the the final judgment. Um, Even as the Bible tells us, the hell was not prepared for humans. It was prepared for Satan and his followers, uh, meaning the demons that are now a part of his his posse, so to speak. So, uh, but I just, I love the picture of Revelation and I love the fact that it just reminds you and I today that, and even as we read it this week, that it's. God is in control. He's all powerful and his just his justice and wrath is poured out upon sin and all those who choose to be a part of it. Yeah, and moving on with our uh, our readings this week. We're going to have to pick up the pace I guess a little bit. We're I gonna... just love the book of Revelation right now, so that's why. I well, told I Evan went, ahead of time. I went ready. really long on Elijah too. So no worries. But uh I wanted to highlight really quick we're reading a couple of chapters out of Luke this week and um I want us to give a quick thought about the Last Supper, which is where um, we get our structure for commu- from communion from. So if you are taking communion uh, or Eucharist, if that's what you call it. Um, but either either way, uh, that's where we get the idea from. And I think one of the one of the really important thoughts in this moment, and, and everything 
in the last little bit of Jesus' life, I think we should put a lot of weight into just because um, it's very clear that exactly Jesus is meaning to say exactly what he's wanting to say. And these are the things that he's imparting to his disciples uh, right before really they're going to go through their biggest test of faith. And what what struck me is when you're reading through it, um, and I'll kind of just like skim through it here a little bit, but starting in verse 20, he says, or in verse 19, and he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you, but is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the man, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table for the son of, for the son of man goes as, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. And obviously we have the hindsight of knowing that um, it's Judas, right? Judas is going to betray Jesus. And I think there's a really incredible grace that in the moment that Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed by one of his disciples, he chooses to offer he chooses to offer grace and he chooses to remind him of the new covenant that he is available to take. But even deeper than that, I think it's easy to kind of see Judas and we know that he's going to betray Jesus and all these things, but he also knows Jesus is aware of this while he's, he's breaking bread with his disciples that all of them are going to run away and all of them are going to be scared except for John. He knows that Peter is going to deny him three times that, that he even knows who he is. He knows that Thomas is going to doubt so much that Jesus actually rose from the dead that he's going to need to feel his uh, he's going to need to feel the wounds where uh, the nails are driven through. He knows that all of these men are actually really, um, well, not necessarily a betrayal, I guess, if you wanted to phrase it that way. They're all about to let him down in in one way or another, and yet in that moment of Jesus having full full clarity of what's happening. He chooses to offer them grace. He chooses to remind them of the new covenant. He chooses to remind them of why he's going to die, which I think is really just a testament to um, not just the grace and mercy that Jesus has for his disciples, but also the grace and mercy that God has for us. Um, and that yeah, so knowing, knowing full well that we're going to mess up, knowing full well that we're going to sin, God offers us that way out. And he offers us really the the new covenant, the gospel. Yeah, so good. Such a good reminder for you and I today. And as we continue reading this week, um, one of the things that uh, we get to read is Second Chronicles, and we get to pick up a story of this guy named Jehoshaphat, who is one of the kings after Solomon, and he's actually a good king. Uh, and he's, I say it this way, he's a bright spot uh, after Solomon, uh, even as Evan alluded to, I think, last week, about how many bad kings there were after the kingdom split, or the kingdom of Israel split into the kingdom of Judah and kingdom of Israel. Uh, but we see this uh, this contrast between both kingdoms, between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. And Jehoshaphat was a uh, he was a man of godly integrity. He wanted to lead in righteousness. He wanted to lead in integrity. And uh, he sees uh, there's an, a moment where he aligns and, in essence, becomes uh, a, a, in alignment with Ahab, who's the king of Israel. Uh, I believe that's right. Um, and in essence, he, he the act of unity by marrying uh, off his son to Ahab's daughter. Uh, and there's this big banquet throne and King Ahab in, at the end of this banquet says, hey, you should partner up with me so we can go take over R- Ramoth Gilead. and Which is a great plot of land. Yes, it is a great plot of land. Plot of land. Um, and so we see this, this crazy thing play out where um, Ahab, who's an evil king, leans on 400 prophets to, to, to speak of the Lord and say, hey, to inquire of the Lord if we should go up and take over that, that plot of land. 
And Jehoshaphat says, okay, but then he asks this question, is there any prophets of the Lord that are still around today? And so King Ahab says, yeah, there's this guy named, I think it was Micaiah. I want to make sure I read that right. Um, I don't see where it is right now in my notes. But anyways, so there is a prophet of the Lord that Ahab hates because every time this prophet is prophesying on his behalf, actually Ahab is being like, he's actually getting the consequences of that prophet. In essence, nope, you're not going to get that. Nope, you're not going to succeed. Don't do that. Every time I ask for God's advice, he says I'm doing a bad job. Yeah, which <laughs> you'd think he'd listen. Uh, so long story short, we, as you'll read it, you'll see that there's this banquet. Ahab and uh, Jehoshaphat are aligned. And Ahab inquires the 400 prophets. He then brings in this other prophet, Micaiah. And Micaiah says, nope, don't do it. He actually responds sarcastically. Go back to the sarcasm comment. Um, Micaiah is coached to say, hey, this is what all the other prophets are saying. You should say the same thing. And so then when he's inquired by Ahab, Ahab's like, yeah, go on, go up there. You're going to, you'll take over the land. Wink, wink, hint, hint. You're going to fail. Um, and then he responds like, I can only re- say to you what the, what God tells me to say. You're, here's what's going to happen. And he, in essence, prophesies how Ahab's going to die. Ahab gets deceitful and tricky. They still go into war. He disguises himself as a, as a common warrior. And it says that the uh, armies of Ramoth Gilead were instructed to just take out the king. And so all they saw was the king of Judah, which was Jehoshaphat, because Ahab had disguised himself. And it says the way that Ahab dies is that he is he pierced in between his armor with the random arrow shot in the air by one of the army, one of the men of the realm of Gilead and it pierces him and he flees and he's watching the battle as it rages on into day into the night and he sits and then he dies. Classic Ahab. That's how Ahab dies. And what was prophesied by Micaiah is accurate, is correct. It comes to fruition and the battle happens. Uh, Jehoshaphat flees. He gets away. He's safe. He goes back to his kingdom. And then in chapter 19, to move forward for a minute, it says that you have there's this interaction where uh, Jehoshaphat then has an encounter where he's told point blank, the Lord is angry with you that you made an alliance and you should not have done that. That's a bad thing. And then continues on with the business. And Jehoshaphat was a really incredible king. He was a really righteous king. He made a bad choice. But I think it was the there was some intention, I think, with the unity factor and wanting to see the kingdoms unite and be on the same page. But it's such an incredible tension that we've seen play out between the kingdoms merging, but also righteous leadership and bad leadership, too. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, both good kings and bad kings that we're, we've been hearing about this week. Um, and one thing I want to talk about, too, if we're going to Second Kings, and we'll wrap it up here um, just really quickly after we talk about this, but... I think there's a really beautiful relationship between Elijah and Elisha, Elisha being of uh, calling bears out of the woods fame. But um, it's almost this Old Testament version of the relationship between Paul and Timothy, or I guess more accurately, you could see that Paul and Timothy echo the relationship of Elijah and Elisha. And getting towards the end of his life, um, Elijah is aware that God is kind of calling him home. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that Elijah becomes one of two people in the Bible uh, who don't experience death. And so the first one being Enoch, if you remember. From- I was just going to do a pop quiz question to someone out there, but you just gave the answer. Sorry, guys. Uh, but if you remember back reading in Genesis, uh, we read that Enoch uh, lived, I forgot how many years, but he lived about 300, 400 years, and then he is taken up to be uh, with God. That would be the way thing. to go. It's, yeah, it sounds, sounds nice to me. Uh, something similar is about to happen with Elijah. Um, and I think one of these 
it's a really just a beautiful poetic passage about the passing of I guess literally the mantle, but the yeah. passing of the anointing of of being a prophet of God from one generation to the next. And so just to read through it really fast. Uh, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And so right now they're at the Jordan, uh, the Jordan River. And the water was parted to the one side to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. So Elijah and Elisha are walking together now. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, you sh- it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And I think it's just kind of – we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about Elisha next week because he's a, he's just as fascinating a, a person as Elijah is. Um, but I think it's just such a really cool passage about the idea of – it's almost kind of out of a movie mm-hmm. where Elijah – puts his cloak down, parts the water, they walk, this incredible thing happens. All Elisha has left of of his um, master is a weird word. That's not what the relationship is. Mentor. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. That sounds so much better. Um, As he's he's walking back, he takes the cloak and he he also does the same thing Elijah does. And then God shows Elisha in that moment that you are going to have the same anointing that Elijah Mm -hmm. had. Um, And as we get into the ministry of Elisha, we're going to see that um, Elisha does some really incredible things. Um, A lot of them even greater than things yeah. that God did through Elijah. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Well, and I even, I even like the the part like in verse 12, it says that he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And then it said he put on Elijah's cloak. It's almost this, this recognition of like, I'm done. Like I, I know my journey, my call, my, my anointing is finished and now I'm taking on a new anointing. Right. And in, in essence, that's what the cloak symbolizes, but uh, it's such a, yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that before until just now. So it was, yeah, so. was cool. That was a fun way uh, to wrap it up for this week. But anyway, just as a reminder, uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out all of our other podcasts and resources, you can visit our website at grove.church. Also, do us a favor, if you've been enjoying this, uh, leave a review on whatever application you're listening on. It helps. Five stars. Five stars, please. But yeah, it helps just to grow the audience um, and really grow this community of people sending in questions, reading the Bible together. So it's a wonderful thing that we get to do, uh, and we want more and more people to be a part of it. Yes. So with that being said, we will see you all next week.